Well, good morning, Covenant. Man, we are all sitting in the back today. I did put on deodorant this morning, I promise. I think. I did. All right. Anyway, hey, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. Um, if you don't have one with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Ephesians, like Colossians, um, but different, written by the same guy. Um, so Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Um, but before we begin, I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for this church. Thank you that your love is real. Thank you for this opportunity uh, that we have to put your truth in front of our eyes, that it might reach our minds, that it might seep into our heart and impart life. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, what our passage is going to cover today is this question. Where does real, full life come from? Like, where do we go for that? And so, um, you guys know how you can, like, believe something or know you should believe something, but you don't actually believe it? And so, I'm going to throw this on the end of that question again. I'm going to say, where does real, full life come from? But, like, really? And what do we believe about this question individually? And what do we, as a church, believe about this question? And so again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. So this is Paul writing. He says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, this question today, I do not speak on as an expert. Um, I speak as someone who knows what he should love and struggles because he loves something other than what he should, knows he should love every day. Are we in this together? A little bit? Yeah? You guys with me? It's okay. If you're not, maybe you will be. Um, but going back to the beginning of the passage, verse 17, something we, we see right when we start this, is it says this. Now this I say... And testify in the Lord. Real quick, what did he just do? This I say, and testify in the Lord. Um, parents, when you say something twice to your kids, what does that mean? It's important. You should probably listen. So Paul says, at the start, he says, look, now this I say, and testify in the Lord. Real quick, full stop. We need to listen to everything that he says. 
And so here's what he says, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, he's probably only saying this because some people are, right? Now, he's writing this to believers. He's writing this to the church. He's saying, look, some of you are walking as Gentiles do, as unbelievers are. This cannot happen. So he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then these next few verses, he's going to give a picture of how an unbeliever thinks. And here's what he says. And the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Ew. That sounds kind of rough. Um, but just a real quick, we're going to take a look and see like what is he actually saying. So still, going back to verse 18, it says they are um, darkened in their understanding, comma, that they are alienated from the life of God. So both their understanding is darkened. They're, they are alienated. They're separated from the life of God because here's the reason that they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So ignorance can mean many different things, but simply it's this, just not knowing. Just simply not knowing. Not knowing of God, not knowing of his greatness, not knowing of his love. Because of the ignorance in them, they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God. But where does that ignorance come from? Moving on. It's due to their hardness of heart. And so the ignorance in them according to this, is not necessarily just that um, they haven't necessarily heard, but there's something going on at a heart level that makes them not want to hear. Real quick, we know we do this too, right? Have you ever known something deep down, but like you just don't want it to be true because it's kind of inconvenient, or like you just you want something else, and so you try to get your mind to go along with what your heart already wants? <laughs> we do that. We do that too. So he goes on, and he says something very similar. He says, look, they have become callous. Calluses are great if you work with your hands or if you play guitar. I wish I had more of them. Um, because they can keep you from feeling something that would otherwise be painful, but when they keep us from feeling something good, it's a problem. So it says, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous, and then because of that, they have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Look, when you don't feel something, and you want to feel something, some of us just do something so that we can feel something. We get so stuck in numbness and callousness and just wanting to feel something. We're just so bored that we do something so we can feel something. Sensuality, it's, it's gaining enjoyment through your senses. We tend to think of it in a certain way with things that are sexual in nature, but it's not just that. Because look, it's not just that. It's greedy to practice every kind of impurity. As our heart hardens, as for people who their heart is hardened, and you just can't feel things, the natural step is that you just give yourself up to something that helps you feel something. So... Um, that doesn't sound like a good world to live in, right? But my question for you is this. 
Do you see yourself at all in that? Go ahead, look at it again. Do you see any of that being true in your own life? And so, again, everything that is mentioned about the mindset of an unbeliever, it comes down from the hardness of heart. So both uh, the darkened and the understanding alienated from the life of God because of ignorance, which is due to the hardness of heart, a calloused heart that has then led them to give themselves over to sensuality and every kind of impurity. The core issue is the hardness of heart. And so my question for you, when you consider your love for God, is your heart all fleshy and soft or is there hardness in there? Is there hardness in your love toward God? And so to help you think through this, let me just ask you, what do you love? Like, like really love? Like not know you should love? But what do you really love? What are you drawn to in your free time? What are you drawn to when no one else is looking so that they won't say like, hey, you're good, you're bad, whatever, no one's going to judge you? What are you drawn to? It's a guy named Tony Rinke who wrote this book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And he makes this um, very convicting point for me. Um, if you want to know what you really love, look at your phone. Not like actually look at it. Um, here's the reality. Look, your phone and your unfettered access to internet and videos, whatever, if you want to know what you truly love, think about what you use your phone to do. Because the truth is, you have almost like the world at your fingertips. And you have the world at your fingertips privately. And so no one else is judging you. You're not trying to impress anyone. And how, if you look at how you use your phone, where you go on the internet, how you choose to entertain yourself, that is a picture to you in crystallized pixels of what you love. Now, if we think about that, how many of us say, yes, my heart is fully devoted to God? If the phone is the, if our phone and how we use our phone, how we use the internet, is a picture to us, an accurate picture of what we truly love, man, there's some hardness in my heart. There is some hardness in my heart toward God. Again, look, I said I'm not standing up here as an expert. I'm not standing up here as someone who has it all figured out. I'm standing up here as someone who can hopefully see the truth of scripture and then hopefully has begun to apply that to my life and then is giving myself as best as I know how to to God through many failures. Our phone is a picture of what your heart truly loves. Now, um, if there is some hardness in our heart toward God, we can see this through what we love, um, the, the next question is this, look, if you have some hardness in your heart and you, you realize that you may know everything about the Steelers and their upcoming season and what's going on, but there's things that you don't know as much about God, that you seem to seek knowledge about the Steelers or whatever this thing is that you love, you seek all that knowledge far more aggressively than you seek to know about God, then could it be perhaps that there's some ignorance in our heart toward God? That there's things about God that it's not just that we just don't currently know, but there's other things we'd rather know more. And we're willfully keeping ourselves at a place, a small little bit of ignorance, maybe a little bigger big bit of ignorance. Do we wonder if maybe that has kept us separate 
from the full life that God would have for us. That our willful keeping ourselves ignorant of the things of God has kept us from some of the good things that God might have for us. And doesn't that paint a picture of our understanding of God's world being a bit dark? And if we consider our lives, isn't it true that we have at times felt nothing and just kind of given ourselves over to a bit of sensuality? We've given ourselves over to something that's a bit impure, not as God would hope, because it helps us feel something. It helps us deal with the boredom and numbness that we tend to feel and comes up on us. I mean, look, look, look on. As, as the passage goes on, you get down to 22. It's talking about this old self, this natural self. Look, you, that, that, everything I just read, you guys see how that's, that's kind of naturally how we process the world. We naturally don't just love God with everything. We love others. And so when it talks about our old self, our natural self, um, it says it, that this self, it belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We have been corrupted because of deceitful desires that are in us. Look, do you, have you ever realized how much you've lied to yourself? Have you ever realized how much you have lied to yourself. Your heart has lied to you. I need that. I need that. No, you don't. How many times, if you think back on your past, have you just been like, I need this, I need this, I need this, and you can look back now and realize, look, I actually really didn't need that. That probably would have hurt me. Or maybe you wanted something, wanted something, wanted something, got it, and it just turned toxic in your hands. You thought it was going to be awesome, and it ended up being as poison to you. Have you ever realized that if you did everything you ever thought, we would all be in jail? <laughs> right? If we did everything we ever thought, we would all be in jail. Well, maybe not, because no one would be able to put us in jail, because we would all be in jail anyway. Our hearts are lying to us. When our heart says, you need this, you need this, you want this, you want this, this is who you are. Well, it is, but it's kind of ugly in there. Our heart has lied to us. Man, I, some of the biggest pain that I've brought on myself is because I have followed my heart. Our heart lies to us. It tells things we don't believe. It tells us that this relationship is something that's going to be good, that we need it, that we need to just have, um, that we need to hold on to anger in this time, that we're justified in holding on to anger. I need to hold on to this. It tells us we need to take just another look at that screen. It tells us, oh, that this time it'll be different, even though every time we've believed that in the past, it's led to us getting hurt. It's told us sometimes that no one values us and we should just disappear. Our heart has lied to us. So look, if, if, if we realize that even though this first part is talking strictly about unbelievers, but we realize, hey, I've got some of me in that, if we also have a tendency to become calloused, if we realize that there is hardness in our own heart, and, and that our heart deceives us, and when it does, it leads toward pain and destruction, then the worst thing, if, if this is what we've realized about ourselves, then the worst thing that we can do is nothing. 
if we have a heart that naturally leads us toward pain and destruction, naturally builds up hardness, then the worst thing that we can do, if we realize this, is nothing. Um, <clears throat> when I was in fifth grade, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, thyroid cancer. Caught it early. Had some surgery. Did processes. Uh, takes pills once a day. Um, and I have a mom today. If you find out you have stage one cancer, the worst thing you can do is nothing. And so then the question is, if I realize there's some kind of evil in me that seems to be growing, if I do nothing, then what do I do about it? First, can, can, can we, like, Covenant Church, can we just agree all together that hey, there's something messed up about us? Can, 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 can we just be honest and really own that? But look, if you realize that this is you, just as I am standing up here saying, this is me too, then will you join me in taking a serious look at what we should do about this? So, we're going to go to verse 20. In verse 20, it's just giving this picture of the mind of an unbeliever, what's going on in their heart, and it says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So look, um, this is not consistent with what we've believed. But then he says, look, assuming, so assuming there's going to be this little caveat that's going to help us decide kind of where we fit in this, that you have heard about him, that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So look, in, in short, he's just saying this. Look, if, if, if the truth is in you, then this first part is ultimately not going to be consistent. There's something we can do about it. Look, if the truth is not in you, then this might just be your world. If the truth of Jesus is not in you, then we'll just have to deal with our deceitful heart the rest of our life. Might not even realize it's deceitful, or might realize it's deceitful, then kind of push that down because it's inconvenient to what we currently love. Anyway, but if we realize that um, this is us, and we realize that, that, that the truth of Christ is in us, then we move on to verse 22. It says this, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now look, um, Christian obedience is not... Uh, it is simple, but it's difficult to describe quickly. You, you guys know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever had a thought in your mind that's utterly simple, but it could take you two hours to actually explain it because words somehow just don't get around this very simple thing that still exists in your mind? Yeah? Um, Christian obedience is simple, but it's difficult to describe quickly. And so, um, as Rick has said, look, Christian obedience is not just, hey, do better. If the problem is in our heart, then just saying, hey, do better won't work. Because Christian obedience starts as a matter of the heart, not as a matter of the will. And look, if, if that's all it was, then that's what it would say. It would say, hey, this is your heart problem, do better. It doesn't say that. It uses this kind of weird language of put off your old self, put on, um, which, again, can be confusing. Lucky for you, Rich has already, pre Rick? Rich? Rick has already preached two weeks on this. 
Go on the website, find some old sermons. I think it was two and three weeks ago, three and four weeks ago. Didn't get it perfect. Anyway, um, so Rick has already covered much of this, said good things. It's not just do better. It's not just be nice. It's not, hey, be Christian-like. It is so much more than that. If that's what it was, the Bible would say it. Um, but instead, we do get this interesting language about this, um, about the putting off, putting on. Rick read it in Colossians. Uh, Colossians 3 has the title, you know, put on the new self. It talks about put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then it goes on to say, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. The Bible uses this put off, put on language over and over because it's, well, important. Um, I have too many notes. And so, yes, it's important, but I want to focus on something particular in this passage. What, what, what might this passage have to say? How does it help us understand this put-off, put-on mindset? So look at verses 22 to 24. And if you look, you'll notice there's some somewhat equivalent but opposite phrases that Paul uses in 22 and 24. So in verse 22, you have to put off your old self. Verse 24, put on the new self. Verse 22 says that it belongs to your former manner of life. 24, it's created after the likeness of God. So it belongs to your former, now it's created after God. Then back to verse 22, that it is corrupt through deceitful desires. That it's corrupt and it's corrupt through deceit. And the, the, in, in verse 24, that it's in true righteousness and holiness. That it's not corrupt, but it's righteous and holy and it's based on truth. And so if you look, if you ever have like one, two, three, one, two, three, and you got this spot in the middle, maybe we should take a look at what's in the middle. Which we're going to, but not yet. I want you to look at one phrase in that, uh, in, in, in verse 24. It talks about to put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God. Created. Interesting. If we have a new self that is created after the likeness of God, do you think this is saying that you created it? Or did someone else create it? Did someone else create this in you? So when you consider your heart, and for all the confusion and messed up and the pain and the deceit that's in there, is there love for God in your heart? <laughs> Where there didn't used to be, is there now love for God in your heart? Because if there is, you didn't put it there. Could it be that the God who created something out of nothing put love in your heart where there was no love for God? Could it be that the God who said, um, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? If there's something where there used to be nothing, I don't have the power to do that. None of us have the power to create something where there is nothing. If there is love for God in our hearts where there used to be none, then only God could put it there. That's good news. That's really good news. And so, um, just real quick, hey, if you have love for, heart in your, love for God in your heart, 
then someone has started a work in there. And if someone else started a work in there, perhaps they'll bring it to completion. But still, we're going to look again now at verse 23. Um, 23 says this, The thing that ties the two things together from the putting off to the putting on is this, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It doesn't say renew the spirit of your mind. There's almost this passive letting something happen inside you. Perhaps letting something happen inside you that someone else already started. But to get get another picture of what this instance of renew looks like, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. You don't have to go there, it's okay, but it says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, our self wasting away, but the inner self is being renewed day by day. How does this happen? Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. What things? What things? It talks about the things that are unseen or eternal that we should be looking at. And so then the question is asked, what should we be looking at? If we want the spirit of our, our mind to be renewed so that a new self is created inside of us, then what should we be looking at? Well, we cannot go out into Alden. Well, I mean, y'all got till tomorrow? Look at that. Anyway. Um, but here's what's cool. Shortly before Paul shares this concern for the Ephesian church, and look, it's a serious concern. Remember, he said, listen twice. Shortly before this, he prays for them. And it's really beautiful. So real quick, take your Bible, go back to chapter 3. He prays for the Ephesian church. Um, real quick, I had, a, I had a chance this past week to go some training over near Lancaster. Uh, a pastor named James Forsyth came up and he, he preached on this passage and my heart was just melting and it was wonderful. Um, and so real quick, I'm going to read this and kind of show you what he showed me and um, we will be done. But uh, this is what Paul prayed for that church, starting in verse 16, that according to the riches of the of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so if you look at this, if you look at his prayer, he starts by praying that according to the the, the riches of his glory, that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit. Why? Why does he pray that you should be strengthened? So that, verse 18, you may have strength. You notice that? Isn't that funny? He prays that you may be strengthened so that you can even have the strength to comprehend what? With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? 
of Christ's love for you. And so my question for you, look, my, my prayer for, for you, covenant, um, do you know the love of Christ for you? Have you set your mind on the love of Christ for you? Have you comprehended the love of Christ for you? Do you know the breadth of it? Do you know how broad the love of Christ is for you? Broad enough to cover all your sins, past, present, future, all your sins. Do you know how long the love of Christ is for you? From eternity past to eternity. Do you know how high the love of God is for you? Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for you. Do you know the depth of his love for you? As deep as the ocean? No. Deeper. Even to the depths of hell, where he went to get you. That is the love of Christ for you. Can I encourage you? Just, just sit there for a moment. The width, the height, the length, the depth of Christ's love for you. Can we just set our minds on that for a little bit? As we do, we will be renewed. As we set our minds, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen, we will be renewed. Perhaps, as you set your mind on that, you might notice that your heart might soften a little bit. You might realize that the power of your deceitful heart is losing its power on you. Perhaps you will realize that ignorance is not bliss. As we sit there in God's love for you, as we dwell there, abide there, just drink it, believe it, and soak that in, the good that God created in you will come closer and closer to completion. Old self will pass away. The new self will, will be put on and will rise up. There will be newness created in you that is based in truth and it leads to righteousness and holiness. Is there anything better than that? Is there anything better our hearts can just drink from? So what? Going from here? Individually, we need to sit there. As a church, we need to sit there. And we need to invite the world in. How great is the love of Christ for you? Let's pray.